welcome to this podcast from Adelaide Place Baptist Church. We are a community of disciples, apprentices of Jesus, who live and work in the city of Glasgow, and it's our vision to join God in the renewal of all things. Our discipleship to Jesus is for all of our lives, so as well as listening to this podcast, we'd love for you to join us on a Sunday morning, or get involved in one of our missional communities, which are across the city throughout the week. Our prayer is that you encounter Jesus in some way through this podcast. More information can be found at apbc.net. My name is Fiona. I'm part of the core leadership team uh, here, for those who've uh, not met me before. And it's my privilege, actually, to begin our series on uh, our summer Eucharist gatherings on the book of Mark, Mark's Gospel, this morning. Um, over the next couple of months, we're going to be working our way through Mark. Uh, and it's, it's really good. I was, I was reflecting as I was preparing this week. Now, I, I don't want to make you feel too bad about my preparations this week, but I had a day of retreat at a retreat centre, then I was at a wedding, and then I used up a spa voucher that somebody gave me in 2019. I, I did prepare the sermon as well. But I did have time this week to, to really be kind of reflecting on where we've come from and where we're going, whilst, whilst also thinking about the sermon, obviously, in the spa. Um, but I've been reflecting on how good it is, isn't it? It's so great to be back together. It's great to be able to sing together. So quickly we've got used to it. But, you know, all those months of singing behind masks or not singing behind masks or doing the, you know, devoted humming that I was doing, which I think was illegal, but, I mean, who's going to arrest you for that? Um, it's, it's good, isn't it? It's good to be able to eat lunch together. It's good as a church fellowship to be able to have a church meeting, right, about the building project that we really pray and hope might come to some sort of uh, progress. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it good, all of these things? And, and Neil, you, I was interesting, I noticed this morning, you used the word exciting quite a lot. It's exciting to be together. It's exciting it's the summer. I mean, who knows? It's exciting that it's Wimbledon. It's exciting that it's Glastonbury. It's all going on, isn't it? But I, I don't know about you. It, it could be tempting, I think, for us this morning to rush into Mark's gospel and to Mark chapter one with a kind of, yes, let's go. This is exciting. We're full of excitement and vim. I know that was a nice use of word, wasn't it? Excitement and vim. I don't know about you, but I don't really feel full of excitement and vim very much at the moment, if I'm totally honest. And there's a danger that actually those who hear the words excitement and vim begin to think, well, I just feel exhausted and done in. And, and I wonder if, if we as a congregation, as we approach these summer months, we're approaching with a stagger and a weariness. So I'm still feeling pretty done in. And I feel like I should be full of excitement and vim. But I'm feeling a bit done in, to be honest. We know that picking up the things we've missed is good. And it's right, but it can be hard. It can be hard because of the reality of the hardship that we, we encounter as soon as we open a news app. As soon as we read a newspaper. Does anyone do that anymore? I do. Old school. As soon as we put on our televisions and we, we become aware of the, the global context in which we exist, the, living, the cost of living crisis, the fuel insecurity, the conflict in Ukraine, the conflicts that are occurring in many other countries that get shoved down the news agenda, the climate emergency, the culture wars, the racial and gender inequality that we, we see played out on our news agendas. 
within the UK, there's that post-Brexit political reality that seems to just be so polarised. The Scottish question, independence back on the agenda, whatever our views are on that, again we're being asked to gear up and go again. It can feel exhausting. It can feel a bit done in. And then you add into that the personal situations that many of us are, are facing ourselves or are aware of. I, I don't know about you, maybe it's the age and stage I am, I don't know, but at the moment I have a number of WhatsApp conversations that are pinging away through the course of the week with people who are going through horrendous situations and asking for prayer. And, and, and what a wonder that we have something like WhatsApp that lets us know that so that we can pray. But that can feel overwhelming when I think about the need that people are, the, the needs of people who are going through illnesses and other personal crises. There is a weariness when we open our news apps, when we check our messages, when we try and work out what we think about any given issue. And if we're not careful, I think that anxious weariness can become our default position, can't it? It's a weariness that can't be wished away with a, you know, switching on Wimbledon. Watch it listening to Glastonbury. It's an anxiety that leaves us a bit reluctant to plan anything in case something goes wrong. And a weariness that means we are desperately, desperately in need of good news. And we live in a society, a global context that is desperately in need of good news. So this morning, when we come to the Gospel of Mark, we start with a wake-up call to those who feel weary, to those who feel done in, those who are trying to magic up the excitement and the vim and the vigor, and they're struggling a bit to do that. Because this Gospel is full of good news. And it's good news that comes in straight away when we read it. So let's read chapter one together, if you have a Bible with you. Old school paper or on your phone or wherever that might be, and the words will come up behind me. <clears throat> so we're in Mark chapter one, and let's just notice as we read. Let's notice the immediacy of this message. Let's notice the good news. Let's notice the revelation that comes about who Jesus is. So Mark chapter one. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptised by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptise with water, but he will baptise you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptised by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and angels attended him. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. 
As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother, his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then, a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand and helped her up. The fever left her and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon possessed. The whole town gathered at the door and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him and when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So they traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately, the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. And as a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. So much going on, isn't there? It's packed. Just take a moment and see what you noticed. Did you notice the number of times that there was announcing and preparation going on? Did you notice the number of times phrases like at once or immediately were used? Did you notice the pace of what was happening? Did you notice what is revealed of who Jesus is in this chapter? That's what we're going to talk about today. Let me pray. God, we thank you for your word to us. We thank you that you speak to us today. We thank you that your kingdom is near. And we pray that as we meditate on this word just now, and that you might speak to us, speak to our hearts. Amen. Now, Mark's gospel, it's short. 
It's immediate, it's pacey, right? It doesn't offer much in the way of interpretation of what's going on. It's, it's really a series of events, one after the other. Boom, 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 boom. Picked that up already, didn't we, as we read through chapter one there just now. And if you're familiar with the four gospels that tell the story of Jesus' life and death and resurrection, you'll know that each of the, each of the gospels is a bit different from the other. So they kind of reflect the style of the person who's written it. So Matthew's gospel, it's written with a Jewish um, audience or, or hear, hearing listenership in mind. Um, it begins with a genealogy of Jesus. It sets him into the context of the, um, of the Old Testament of the, as the fulfillment of prophecy, of messianic prophecy. Luke's gospel spells out very quickly at the beginning that he has written a carefully researched orderly account in order to make sure that, um, a, in order to make sense of the good news that's for the Jew and the Gentile. So his, his gospel is, is written for the Jewish and Gentile audience. John's gospel is much more theological in tone. So he begins with this idea of the word becoming flesh. He sets the whole thing in a kind of cosmic, uh, theological, significant sense of who Christ is, the word become flesh. But Mark's gospel, the gospel we're going to be in for the next few weeks, that feels much more raw and much more immediate and much more present, much more actioned. It was probably written first of the four gospels and it likely formed the source document uh, for Luke and for Matthew. But the fact that it doesn't have interpretation, the fact that it's, it's pacier, doesn't make it less important or less significant. And of course, commentators, you may be familiar with this, commentators um, surmise that it might well be that this is actually Simon Peter's account. So Simon, who was called, and whose mother-in-law we read about there, this is, is, has a lot of his story in it. The likelihood is that Mark, who is mentioned very briefly in the New Testament, uh, in, the, in the Gospels, and then it travels with Paul and knows it's part of the early church, uh, Mark wrote down potentially what was Simon Peter's account of events. So we're getting something of Simon Peter's feel um, of, of events as they happened. But the heart of the message, the heart of this is the clear message that Jesus Christ is good news for everyone. Jesus Christ is good news for everyone he encounters in that chapter today. So for the start of this summer Eucharist season, I just want us to think about three aspects today of what this good news might be about. The immediacy of the good news, the proclamation of the good news, and the revelation of who Jesus is so, immediacy, right? There's no preamble. No Christmas story. Did you notice that? Don't know anything about, about the Christmas story from the Gospel of Mark. There is no genealogy. But there's no context of Jesus' family background. There is, uh, we, all there is is that we jump straight into this series of events that follow one after the other. And there's a danger that we maybe just kind of get carried along with the reading of that and we, we sort of miss the significance of what, what's going on in this first chapter here. It does mean that Mark's gospel is really easy to read. So it takes about an hour. So I would say, if you're going to be hanging around, hanging around? That sounds a bit kind of 1990s, doesn't it? If you're going to be attending this gathering <laughs> over the summer, then you might want to go away this afternoon, after the church meeting, obviously, and, uh, and read through Mark's gospel. It will only take you about an hour, but get, get yourself familiar with the, the course of events. It really does t doesn't take long to do. And there's a paciness to it that means you, you are drawn into the story. If you've never done that before, then I would really highly recommend that you do that. But there is something here about Jesus having lived quietly for 30 years, the, un the unwritten verses of, of, of what happens before, what happens as we go into the, the reading today. There's a quietness, and then suddenly the time is right 
for Jesus' ministry to begin. It's as though God, boom, this is the time. This is the moment. I'm going to activate my plan. There's an immediacy to good news and a freshness to the breaking in of God's kingdom. There's also a proclamation of good news. There's an immediacy to it. There's a proclamation of it. And it begins with John the Baptist, this slightly odd encounter, oddly dressed, bit antisocial, desert-dwelling prophet who comes as a messenger to announce the coming of the Messiah, the Son of God, the Promised One. Jesus is expected. The Messiah is anticipated. He's been prophesied. But God has been quiet. Again, quietness for 400 years. God has not spoken to the the people of Israel other than potentially Anna and Simeon, who we read about uh, at the time of the birth of Jesus prophesying. But really, they're the only ones recorded um, for 400 years um, prophesying. And then suddenly... It feels as though to all intents and purposes, God has stopped speaking. And suddenly now, now the time has come for a prophet who will announce good news. Get ready, John says, because there's somebody coming who's going to change everything. Get ready by turning away from the way you've been living. Turn back to God. Repent. Be baptized as a commitment to a different way of living. A new kingdom, says John the Baptist, is about to come into being. And John's voice comes from the wilderness and it cuts through that 400 year silence to command God's people, pay attention. Pay attention, God's people. You may be feeling not very excited and not full of much vim, people of God. Pay attention. Repent and be baptized because one is coming. The kingdom is near. The kingdom is at hand. He comes to prepare the way for Jesus to whet spiritual appetite and sharpen spiritual thirst. And people are ready to hear it. People are ready. They come flocking to that river, flocking to to be baptized. They come flocking, determined to turn around, to live differently. There is a proclamation that God is on the move. God is coming. And almost as soon as as John has announced it, Jesus himself appears on the scene. Again with that immediacy, doesn't he? He's baptized by John. And, And let's be clear about this. Jesus is not baptized for his sin, He's baptized in order to identify with our sin. He's making a statement, a proclamation that he will choose to identify with the sin of the world, with humanity in all its brokenness, in all its sinfulness. And at that moment, in this strangely public moment that is also strangely intimate, we hear this voice. We see this, 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 this picture of the Holy Spirit appearing like a dove and we hear this voice that commends him. This is my son. God in three persons present in this moment, ready to go. And then in verse 15, Jesus himself proclaims, doesn't he? He says, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. The time has come. And he doesn't just mean by that word time, the translation of the word doesn't just mean, oh, in this particular moment in the Jordan, the time has come. There is something uh, in, the, in the Greek definition of the word time that's used, the word kairos is about a strategic moment, a strategic opportunity, a moment of decisiveness. He's saying the time has come because the waiting is over. You've been waiting for the promised one. You've been waiting for God's kingdom to break in. You've been waiting for the Messiah to come. The time has come. There's proclamation that from now on, things will be different, says Jesus. And that's not changed. The time is still now. 
God's kingdom is still here. There is still a moment, and no matter what is going on in our world or in our own lives, no matter how chaotic, how out of control, how overwhelming, how intense things may feel, how intense the culture wars, how deep the need of those around us, God's kingdom is still here. He's not gone silent. He's not abandoned us. And maybe some of us need to hear that this morning. That the, the kingdom is here, that the moment is now, the time has still come. Those who are weary, those who sometimes lack excitement and vim, we who look at the world around us and wonder, is God still at work in this world in which we find ourselves? The time has come. The kingdom of God is still near for those who have eyes to see it. Maybe there's a wake-up call to us this morning to, to open our eyes to see where God is at work and join in with that. And, and for us, not only as individuals, but as church, as we begin to look to the weeks and the months to come, we, we need to open our eyes to the reality of that kingdom, to look for its signs, to keep praying, to keep seeking God's will. God, what would you have for us as Adelaide Place here in this place, in this part of the city, in our neighborhoods, in our homes, in our places where, where you have placed us? Because the kingdom of God is where, the, where God is at work and God is still at work. Mark 1 shows us that God is at work. Lives are changed, lives are transformed. There's an immediacy, there's a proclamation, and there's revelation. The third aspect of the good news is that there's revelation. Now, those of you who don't know me may not know that I, um, I work as a performer and a writer, um, and I also sometimes direct theatre, which is why I move a chair, because it annoys me that there's a chair in the space. I didn't notice that. <clears throat> now, there's a 20th century theatre practitioner called Uta Hagen. I find Uta Hagen quite fascinating. She, she was an actress, um, and she was described as being a profoundly truthful actress. I mean, that means very little to any of you, but it's important to me. And profound truth is important in acting. But she is best known as an acting teacher, and um, she, described, she once described the process of performing and made this interesting observation. She said, Thoughts and feelings are suspended in a vacuum unless they instigate and feed the selected actions. And it is the character's actions which reveal the character in the play. Right, some of you are sitting there going, what the heck are you talking about? <laughs> Let me explain, right? What it means is, in a play, if you're watching a play, you don't really learn very much about a character in a play by what somebody else says about them. Well, you might... But you then have to think, well, hang on, because that character, they might not be telling the truth. So you maybe don't get the true picture of who somebody is. And you can't enter into the thoughts and the feelings of a character, right? Nobody can do that in another human being. So, so there's, there's no way of, of finding out what's going on with them. The only way when you're watching a play to understand who a character is, is to watch what they do and to watch how they do it. So for actors, you know, that's really important to think about. Well, what, I just did it there, see? You lost confidence in me because I nearly fell over. That was me actioning my fear of falling over. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> the so the learning point for, for performers in that really is that they, they have to learn to show feeling and show thoughts through movement and through tone. Um, so that's lovely. You can take that away. You can do, that, do with that what you will. When you're watching Netflix tonight, you can look out for that. But the idea, I think, for us this morning that makes it interesting is I think it helps us unlock a little bit of what's going on in this, in this chapter. Because there's not much description of who Jesus is. And there's not much, well, obviously no description of what Jesus is thinking or feeling. But we can observe Jesus' actions. And as we observe his actions, we can learn something of what his character is. 
The character of God is revealed through the actions of the Son of God, Jesus. The character of God is revealed through the actions of the Son of God, Jesus. So from the moment he makes that statement that the time has come, the kingdom of God is near, the character of God and the nature of the good news and the reality of the kingdom is revealed in the actions of the Son for those who have eyes to see and ears to hear. What do we see him doing? Well, in his baptism and, his temp- and the temptation, the place of temptation, God is revealed in that Jesus identifies with humanity. I've mentioned that already, that in his baptism, he takes on the sin. He, 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 takes, he makes a statement that he will take on the sin of the humanity, of the world. He steps into that river and says, I will take on your sinfulness and your brokenness. And you will see that played out ultimately in the work of the cross and the resurrection. But this begins now. So this great high priest has this ability to sympathize with us, it says in Hebrews 4, because he was tempted in every way and yet he was without sin. Jesus identifies in his sinlessness with our brokenness and our sinfulness. And his kingdom is for those who are broken and are confident that he accepts us with grace, with mercy, with forgiveness. We see God revealed as Jesus walks by the sea. And he calls these ordinary fishermen to leave their fishing nets and follow him. He gives them new purpose, new direction for life. He makes sense of life for them. And Jesus still calls people today. He still calls people to radical discipleship. It might be, at, oh, it's gone, but it might be in North Africa. It might be in Bath Street. Jesus calls people to radical discipleship to find true meaning and purpose. And his kingdom is at work all over the world in places where his followers find their call to love God and to love other people. God is revealed as Jesus calls us into new purpose and direction. We see God revealed as Jesus teaches in the synagogue and he's shown to be the one who has ultimate power over the spiritual realms. He has authority over the evil spirits. He can drive them out. He still has authority today in the face of all the evil that we see played out across the world in our communities. And his kingdom is demonstrated when the people of God faithfully pray pray, and the powers of darkness are pushed back. God's kingdom is demonstrated still in that he has power over the spiritual realms and we need to have no fear as we face the reality of the darkness around us. We see God revealed as Jesus stoops to take the hand of Simon's mother-in-law and heals her of that fever. Jesus still heals today. And the kingdom of God comes in those moments of dramatic healing when God intervenes, but also in the hope of that better healing that is present for all who put their hand into his hand, as Simon's mother-in-law did. God is a God who heals. Jesus is still at work, healing and restoring It's the character's actions which reveal the character. The God who's revealed in Jesus' actions in Mark chapter one is a God who is near, whose kingdom is close, whose compassion is evident, whose authority is powerful. So if you come today to this place, to this place, and you feel as though parts of your life are broken, don't be afraid to bring that to him. He understands, he's with you. And if you come here today, you come here today to this place where you're looking for direction and purpose and you don't know what's next, he is calling you into that radical discipleship. 
And that might mean that he's calling you to, to choose to put him first, to choose to live his way and let those other things fall into place. And if you come here today needing the reminder that Jesus is powerful because you have lost hope and you feel overwhelmed by the evil that we see in the world, then he reminds you today that he has authority over all things. And if you come today needing the healing touch of Jesus, he is near and he stretches his hand out to take your hand in the way that he took the hand of Simon's mother-in-law. We may come here today feeling weary, lacking excitement, a bit short of vim. We may feel that life is too immediate and there's too much of the at once going on. We kind of feel like we're living in this paciness that we encountered in Mark chapter one. We may find ourselves looking for the secret of how to discover purpose and find confidence again in the kingdom of God. And he reminds us this morning that the kingdom of God is near, that the time has come. And as we come to finish this morning, thinking of how it is that this, this proclamation comes, that this revelation comes, that this immediacy is there, there's also the reminder in the verse that I've not, verses that I've not talked about in verse 35 of how it is that, that Jesus faces all the overwhelming need around him. Verse 35, Mark writes, perhaps having heard it from Simon Peter, very early in the morning, whilst it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. The secret of Jesus' ministry, the secret of his capacity and his action, of his ability to attend to all the needs of all of those around him that he encountered is the intimacy of his relationship with Father God. And there's a reminder for us there this morning because life is opening up. Wimbledon's on, Glastonbury's on, summer's coming, it's busy. We've got to begin to think about how we say yes and how we say no to, to all the good things and we've got to face all the, the, the overwhelming dark things as well. Life is opening up, the world does feel insecure and dark. We can feel overwhelmed by the needs of those around us. So before we lose hope, or before we leap into action that is just go, go, go action, we need to come back to that place of intimacy with our Heavenly Father. That early morning time when all is quiet and the thick darkness waits for the dawn to break. He calls us to that solitary place to be reminded that the kingdom is near and the time has come and there is still good news. And there's a world that really needs to hear good news today. Let me pray. Father, would you take what we have thought about this morning? God, would you take the words of this gospel, the truth of how you lived, and would you sow seeds deep within our hearts, Lord? Would you, where you have been speaking to us, help us to know how to respond, Lord? Would you draw us towards that intimacy with you, that we may, might find you in the, the quiet places? the still moments, that we might hear your voice spoken over us that reminds us that we are your children and we are loved by you and that you identify with us in our sinfulness and our brokenness. God, would you give us a fresh immediacy and a fresh desire to, to, to go when the time comes for you. God, whether that's about what we do in this building whether that's about what we do in our communities, in our families, our workplaces, our places of education. 
God, would we be attentive to your command that we might live in the way that Jesus lived, following his example. In his name we pray, amen.